season four of the Navit podcast, all about money stories. We all have a unique relationship with money and an equally unique story about how that relationship made us who we are today. This season, we will be asking navigators in our community to share their tales. We hope these stories will help us all learn more about our common human experience and dig deeper into our own financial journeys. Feel free to join the conversation. If you have specific financial questions you would like people to answer, call us and leave a voicemail at 206-405-0182. We will read your questions and have them answered on this season of the podcast. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Today, we are so excited to talk money stories with Miss Aquania Escarnay, the founder of The Purpose of Money, a platform that teaches women how to build wealth. Aquania, welcome. Hi, Erin. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. I feel like there's so much we could talk about. But first, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you came to be on our podcast. Of course. So I'm just a Southern girl from Georgia who currently lives in Virginia, and I love to talk about money and to teach people about money. So I was super excited for you guys to contact me about sharing my money story. I think sharing money stories is so important to inspiring others, but also to help them learn from others' mistakes. So I hope this is going to be a great conversation today. I'm sure it was. I'm so excited because we are so on the same page. I want to understand how what um, got you to the point of enjoying so much or wanting to talk about money. But let's start at the beginning. Tell me about childhood in Georgia. Oh, man. Um, what is there? So I am the child of two military veterans. My parents were both mm -hmm. in the Army. My dad ended up retiring after 22 years of service. My mom left after seven years of service. And my parents divorced when I was one. So I have two loving parents and my dad was mostly traveling, living abroad most of my childhood. He lived in Germany and then later Texas and then he retired back in Georgia again. And I was born in Savannah, Georgia so while they were still married. So I love the beach and it's probably because I started out in Savannah and then my mom tells me that when I was three, I used to eat oysters raw and shrimp wow. and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and I still love seafood to today. But um, being raised by two people who pursued money differently definitely impacted mm -hmm. how I see money. But I think that it made me the person I am today for different reasons, right? My dad, being from the military and raised by an amazing family. It's really his grandfather. So my great-grandfather was a entrepreneur, a nine-to-fiver who had several jobs. His name was Felix Watson, and he originally was born in Jamaica and uh, immigrated amazing. to Panama. And my dad is born in, in Panama and then came to New York at age six. And my parents met in middle school. So- oh. They've oh known each other for quite some time, but they got married and later had me. And I remember my dad telling me this story about Felix Watson, who used to be a superintendent, used to work for the post office, used to have a bodega, used to be a stable force in a community that would help people whenever he had money in his pocket. If somebody needed it, he would give it to him. But my dad also said he used to go around Brooklyn, New York with him to collect rent. And at the time, 
he just thought money's overflowing because everywhere my grandfather goes, people are giving him money or it's coming in the mailbox or, you know, that he didn't realize at the time that he was teaching him the foundation of investing in real estate. Um, Yes. And, but it made a huge impact because when I got older and my dad was older, he actually purchased, I think up to 10 properties at one point in Georgia um, but he definitely suffered in 2008, um, by having yeah. so many properties and so few people willing to pay their rent, but it was still a learning lesson for him too. And even that inspired me. It didn't discourage me from investing in real estate. It just kind of taught me different ways to go about it and how to leverage my credit and investing, but not over leverage myself. So I still think I learned yes. a lot from that. And my mom was a full-time entrepreneur most of my life. So I got to see. Wow. <laughs> yeah. see a lot of entrepreneurship in there, I know. my friend. <laughs> but from her, she taught me grit. I will tell you this. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't like to work for other people, but she worked for other people yeah. when she had to. My mom did seasonal work for the IRS. She used to work as a consultant for law firms, doing marketing and accounting because her background is in accounting. But my mom knew that her best way to work was by herself. And she Mm. managed to get me through a private high school and into college. I did get scholarships to help as well, but, you know, she made ends meet with what she had. And I tell my mom, she taught me the importance of being your own boss and entrepreneurship and what that means. She taught me grit, determination, and never giving up. But Mm -hmm. she also taught me what not to do. When I became an entrepreneur, it took me a while to want to do it, but I got a coach. I don't think my mom ever Mm -hmm. had a coach. And my coach told me, your business is growing. You need to hire help. My mom never hired help. I was her help. Right. Right. (laughs) Make these copies, file these papers. I mean, I was my mom's help. And don't get me wrong. I liked it. She used to pay me, you know, and I got to learn a lot about her business but she never hired other people. And I think that's why she didn't grow her business as much as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. But she was innovative. She pivoted. My mom used to sell life insurance. She used to sell ATM machines, credit cards, processing equipment before people took credit cards. My my mom was the one who used to tell gas stations, you need to get into the credit card business. You need to get ATMs. And they would say, no, no, no. Cash is king. We're fine. We're fine. And now what gas station can you go to (laughs) that doesn't take credit cards? Yes. Wow. That's incredible. So so when you say like, did you learn all this, especially the entrepreneurship and these conversations about money, just kind of by osmosis, like just by listening to what they were doing? Or did they actually sit down and talk to you about? A combination I mean, she was of an both. Accountant. Yeah, a combination <laughs> yeah. of both. So my dad did, my dad talked to me later once he established his little real estate empire. We had a, it was so funny. We had a conversation. Um, my husband and I at the time were dating and I guess my dad saw the writing on the wall. So he was like, I'm going to tell you that I have this and that it's yours, but I want you to protect yourself. So he talked about yeah, a prenup and like, you know, yes. the things that you should think about to protect what you have because you just don't know. And my dad's been divorced more than once. Well, he yeah, knows. I get it. He knows. Um, yeah. But my mom, 
I learned by watching. She wasn't mm-hmm. transparent about when her business was struggling. Mm-hmm. But you knew when her business was doing well. She was very generous. Mm-hmm. She would buy new things. Yeah. It would be the time to renovate the bathroom or certain right. things. Because yes. now it's like an influx of cash. And I need to mm-hmm. make sure I cover what I need to cover while um, I have this money. So she taught me that. And some of that I I don't do. But I appreciate being able to witness. Right? Because Absolutely. there was a lesson Absolutely. even in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this is so, it's so fascinating and so amazing that you had those two kind of distinct perspectives as you grew up. I'm wondering as you then kind of got out on your own, maybe went to college or did, did you, what was your journey with money? Like, did you already kind of have a set, you know, I'm, I feel very independent I feel self-sufficient or was it, was it something you had to kind of learn as you got on? I, I'm not going to sit here and say I woke up and I knew about money, but I will say one of the greatest things my dad did for me at 16 was give me rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yes. yes and I course. read it. I'm a, I'm a money nerd. I will read pretty much any money book. And at 16, I said, I probably can't do half of the stuff that he's talking about, but I'm going to read it anyway. Yeah, you were 16. (laughs) And my dad is not a man of many words. So when he tells you something, you just do it. So he was like, read this book. I was like, okay. Mm. So I read the book and I'm like, ownership, entrepreneurship, being in charge, you know, having your time, investing in real estate. These are all things that I want to do. So I read that book. And then the summer, the following summer, I went, got my first job in a retail store as a cashier in a clothing store and an associate for a a store that I don't even remember the name. It wasn't a big chain at the time, but it was in a strip mall with a grocery store and other stores. And Uh I said, you know, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he started investing early. So I took my first paycheck of $252 and I opened up a Roth individual retirement account. And I will tell you, Wait. <laughs> how did you even know how to do that? Like it wasn't in the, was, I'm assuming maybe it was the era of smartphones, but no, like, not yet. I, I got my yet, first right? phone in high school as well. And it was prepaid and it was far from smart. Exactly. <laughs> Mine too, the little flip it ones, was you know. Flip. And the first one yes. was this huge block. It looked like. I don't know, the 1980s car phone. My grandfather got me that one. And then then I moved up to the flip phone, which I loved. I actually love that phone. But then it's not texting. It's not good. It doesn't do anything smart. You're right. But I mean, so you knew you had to get the paperwork, fill out the information about Roth IRAs. I I didn't know all the how, but I knew what, right? So what happened was I said, I need to go to the bank. And I could drive, right? I have my own car. Now, mind you, my first car was one year younger than I was, a 1984 Cressida. (laughs) But it was clean. And it could drive. And it could drive. (laughs) So I drove myself to my bank. My mom, I will give her this, at five years old, she took me to the bank and we opened a bank account. And she told me, you know, this is where you save money. This is how you cash checks. So I always had a bank account and I was well aware birthday money, save some of it, deposit some of it in the bank, spend some of it for yourself. So I I always had money babysitting, you know, working for my mom. I could come up with some money. 
My first business was actually selling candy to my seventh grade classmates so that I could pay for a trip to Spain. And I made my parents a deal. If I come up with the spending money, you'll split the cost of the trip. They had no idea how I was going to come up with the spending money. But I was like, don't worry about it. (laughs) I got it covered. Oh, my God. And I sold enough candy to raise 750 bucks. But anyway. Where'd you get the Well, I mean, no, that's a rabbit hole. I want to know how you got the candy. Oh, I walked to the store every day after school and replenished my candy inventory. I price compared between. Yeah, you marked it up. Yeah, between the gas stations and the drugstores. And I got my candy from the cheapest of the two. Um, This was like real grit. Like literally I walked to I walked to the store every day after school. This is natural entrepreneur. You were 12 years old. Are you kidding? And you knew how to price up and like make price a profit? Price up, make a profit. I knew who my favorite customers were. I knew what they liked. I knew what oh time to hit them up before and after class so I didn't get in trouble during class. <laughs> I only had when one hater and it was my school bus driver who was like, stop hustling on my bus. But he didn't know what I was trying to do. I was like, look, I'm trying to raise money to go to Spain. Like how many kids can say that? Yeah. Did he leave you alone? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. He left me alone. But okay, so you were an entrepreneur from the, the beginning. Start, yeah. <laughs> so as far as the Roth IRA, though, I read the book. So when I read the book, I knew like, hey, this is a tax free vehicle you should consider. But believe it or not, you know, the South is the South. And I went into a bank and the one that I'd had an account since five years old. And I said, you know, I want to open up a Roth IRA. So they bring me to the teller, not the teller, but the services. You got to go in the office. And this lady is like, what in the world? You know, who encouraged you to do this? And it was definitely a discussion. Like we. Like she wasn't going to let you do it? No, she was going to let me do it. But she was just like baffled. Like you're 16 (sighs) and are you sure you want to deposit the entire check? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah. You had other savings. You already knew what you were doing. I was like, this one paycheck is going to pay for my future. That's what I told her. I was like, so I don't mind sacrificing it. What else do I need besides like a couple of clothes and some snacks and go to the movies with my friends? And I was like, I work at a clothing store. I can get clothes. Like that's not. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah. Oh my God. You were educating her. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I still have that Roth IRA. Don't sleep on oh. it. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. And that was in the nineties. So that has definitely had some yes, fun, had fun some years fun. <laughs> production. I've leveraged that to purchase my first home um, oh my because God. you can take money out of a Roth IRA and you can yes. even take some of your original contributions as long as they've been in there for five years and they Definitely been in there more than five years. <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely so. You were sixteen when you did that. I was sixteen when I started investing. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Okay, so so fast forward to now, you're out on your own. Mm-hmm. You have a very good foundation. Not only are you an entrepreneur, but you're an investor and uh, someone who can knows how to make money, mm-hmm. uh, like work for other people. So so was there like? I guess you had such incredible roots. Uh, my question is. As you got out on your own, what what became yours or what did you develop further on your own that kind of maybe was different than your parents? As you I definitely had to learn how to build credit on my own. Uh, yeah. Nobody talked to me right. about that 
until much later. And my first experience with credit was a student in college at George Washington University. I was leaving the bookstore and I was walking across the yard and there was this guy with a clipboard who was like, hey, you want to sign up for a card? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? What do you think I could get? And yeah. you know, this could have gone one of two ways, right? Because first yep. of all, it's illegal now to solicit students on a college campus in the same way that he did me. But he offered me a thousand dollar credit card limit um, on a, I don't know, 15 percent to 24 percent interest rate. And I applied on the spot, gave him up my social security number and had a card in the mail in like a couple of weeks. Um, But I, I, I knew enough to know you got to be smart about this, right? I knew that you're not supposed to uh, owe more than you have to pay. And I knew that at some point this was going to matter, right? Like people talk about debt and credit all the time. And I'm a student who clearly, my freshman year, I was working two jobs um, because I wanted to go to this school badly, but it didn't give me enough scholarship money to pay for everything I needed. So I was hustling even then. I I got on campus the first day. I realized that that federal student loan package they gave you wasn't exactly all yours. And I got two jobs Mm -hmm. within two weeks because I needed to pay the the balance to my school in order to register. And, you know, yeah. so I did a strategic move, which I got the credit card. And then I just decided to only charge the stuff that I already had to pay for my cell phone bill. Uh, yeah. the groceries that I was going to eat anyway, and then pay them off, put it down, pay them off, put them off. That is the longest credit card I've ever had. And that created my history because yep. 20 years later, believe it or not, yeah. um, <laughs> you yes. know, to have the same card. And of course it's more than a thousand dollar limit now, but yeah. that was my foundation and I was grateful. But you instinctively knew I mean, obviously you had a, I'm sure from your family and history, you instinctively knew how to handle it, but, but you did also manage it on your own. Yes. Like thinking, like being very strategic about what expenses went on it, yes. paying it off. Paying yeah, it off. Paying it off. And, and not, I did not go and make it rain in the club. I didn't try to buy yes. everybody drinks at the next happy hour. I didn't do any of that stuff because I knew yeah. I couldn't afford it. That's so um, incredible. You had such a great foundation. But but that, you know, again, it could have gone two different ways, right? Because some people would have gotten a credit card and just went shopping or, you know, invested in something that they thought would do better and it didn't. But I didn't. I didn't do that. And I'm I'm glad I didn't, but I'm glad I started, right? Because had I not gotten that card in college, I don't know when I would have gotten a card. And I didn't get another credit card for quite some time. Me and Discover yeah. was thick and these for a long time. <laughs> they love you now. <laughs> You're still around for them. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Navit podcast. Be sure to visit navitmoney.com slash podcasts to join the conversation, access the show notes and discover other incredible money stories. So, so fast forward to now, okay, you're in adulthood, you've graduated, you have this great degree. Um, how did you, like, first, I guess my, I'm curious about how you kind of thought about student loans and if, and 
that kind of process. And then I'm curious of how you got into what you do now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So first off with the student loans, I just figured they're a part of life, right? Like I went to school, I have to pay them back. What I also strategically did though, is I was not the one who quit looking for scholarships. So I am very blessed and I'm not going to downplay this in any way. Yes, I went to college. First two years, I worked two jobs and I was a full-time student. But my the end of my sophomore year, I had probably applied to over 50 scholarships between the two years. Most people stop applying as a senior in high school. Totally. I got to college and was like, oh, this school's not paid for yet? Okay, we're going to keep applying. I applied (laughs) to Target scholarships, bank scholarships, Army scholarships, because I'm a child of a veteran. Yeah. And $500 here, $200 there, they add up, right? But my my second year of college, a friend of mine told me about a fellowship that basically, if you get it, it comes with a job and they pay for school. It's called the Thomas R. Pickering Fellowship. So if you're interested in foreign affairs, you want to be a diplomat one day, because that's actually what I did right after school. This is a great opportunity for you to look into ways to pay for your education and to pursue a career. So at the time, they used to give the scholarship to undergrad students. And so I applied. I was one of 400 other people who applied. The year that I got it, they gave it to 20 students, 20 undergraduate students. And I cried. I called my mom and I said, mom, you're not going to believe this. She said, what? I said, I just got the phone call. What phone call? Because again, she's not keeping up with all these applications. She just kind of reads the letters when they come in the mail. Right. And I said, mom, like they said, I got this fellowship. You'll never have to write a check for school again. And she never did because they paid for my junior year, my senior year, and my first year of grad school. Oh my God, I'm getting chills. And so with that said, my student debt was two years of undergrad and one year of grad school. Incredible. So my, my debt is nowhere near some of these six figure um, no. student loan bills no. that some of my clients have. <clears throat> Talk about grit and resilience. And oh my God, I don't think I knew that in college you could keep applying for these things. Like who, yeah. like you just naturally knew that. Yeah. That's incredible. And I asked my school too, <laughs> y'all don't have any more money. Are you sure yeah. you're giving me all Where the else? money you can? <laughs> And they would be like, oh, you're in the honors program. We'll give you this scholarship. Oh, you want to do this program? We'll give you a bonus, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. You you nabbed that system, my friend. Okay, yes. And the internet, like scholarships.com, you know. Um, But that's really how it started. So with that said, I probably owed $25,000 for undergrad and then $20,000 for grad. So my, like I said, my student loan debt is not as high as some people out there. Yeah. But that didn't mean I treated it any less seriously than any other debt, right? What I did was I started working for the government immediately after grad school. And I went to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, which was an assignment that was difficult. And so I qualified yes. for additional funding towards my yep. student loan debt. Yep. So I got free money towards my debt, paid directly yep. to my student loan provider. Amazing. So it didn't even cross my desk, right? Yes. No room for me to take $200 at go. Yep. And that propelled me getting out of debt so much faster. 
And then some other hacks that I did, um, when I did pursue my first home, I was told by the lender, you got to get rid of your car note and you got to get rid of your student loan debt to mm-hmm. really even out your debt to income ratio. And I said, oh, how am I going to do this? Like, that's two big bills. Yeah. And I said, no problem. You would have thought they told me, you know, yeah. just go walk to the corner and walk back. No sweat. So I said to my husband, we got to figure this out. Like, where are we going to get this extra money? So I did a couple of things. One, I started traveling for work like crazy. I volunteering. Mm -hmm. Let me go there. I'll go there. Why? Yes. Because when you travel, you got per diem and your money per diem is money for you to help pay for your eating expenses. And I could choose to eat red lobster or fancy steak, or I could choose to eat healthy, but not as expensive. The per diem wasn't going to change. So I started to save my per diem and every little bit went towards my student loan debt. Incredible. Um, Sorry, were you working for the government still now? Technically. Yeah, you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. You were back in the States? Mm -hmm. In the States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I forgot. I did tell you I went to Haiti. So I went to Haiti. I came back to the U.S. Then I went to Dubai for three years. Then I came back to the U.S. again. Amazing. And that's when I decided we went. My husband had a home already. We were renting it. We decided to get our dream home. So we're pursuing this loan. And they tell me I have to pay off my student loans in my car. But I did it. I paid it off um, months before we closed. And it was per, it was traveling. It was the per diem. It was tightening up my budget. Um, yep. I cut out a lot of frivolous spending that we didn't necessarily have to have. Yep. And then it was done. It was like, bye bye. Wait, both student loan and, and car. car note. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I was you like, were determined. Sure. Yeah. Oh, don't yeah. don't get me on a <laughs> don't get me on a mission. I'm like, oh, okay. totally. You're not gonna let me get my house until I do that. Okay. Yes. And you're on a clock, right? Because you're like, our house was being built. So they were like, your house will finish being built in July. So you have six months. I was like, incredible. Okay. Incredible. So tell, can, can I ask you, this is kind of a side question, but I'm really curious about the mentality around this. So you are telling me incredible action and obviously grit and tenacity and determination are all these incredible traits that you have, but what's the feeling around it? Is there like, what, when you think of money, is it like joy? Is it, um, anxiety? Is it like, when I say determination, it's like, uh, yeah. What are, what are the feelings that come up when you think about it? I am definitely motivated by money, but not all money, right? Like I'm motivated for the outcome that the money is going to give me. And so yes. I, I'm definitely a person who says money is a tool. Money is a tool yes. to give me my vacations. Yes. Money is a tool to give me the house I want. Money is a tool to build a future for my kids. And that's yes. how I leverage it. So when you tell me you can't have your house until you yes. pay off this debt, oh, I'm going to find the money to pay off the debt, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't because you want the house. Exactly. The motivation is you what lifestyle you want. The lifestyle live. I want to live. Yeah. I like to vacation. I used yes. to tell people once a quarter, but in reality, I take a trip once a month. But I'm like, <laughs> that's what I like to do. It doesn't yeah. always have to be exotic or crazy, but you know, like I'm taking a yeah. trip with my cousins to go hang out with them for the weekend. 
Yes. That's what I want to do one month, you know, and yep. every Christmas I want to be someplace warm. I told y'all I live yeah. in Virginia. Virginia yes. is not warm in December. <laughs> in fact, there's a lot of snow often. <laughs> so what do we do? We go somewhere warm for Christmas. Yeah. So awesome. that is my mentality. Uh, money is a motivation for me. And as such, I use it to really propel me and those around me to what we're trying to accomplish. And Mm -hmm. I'm teaching my kids that it is a tool, but it is finite to an extent in that, you know, my son used to think you always swipe that card. Is it free? No. This is a debit card tied to a bank account that has a balance. If there's no money in the bank account, the card doesn't swipe. He's like, oh, okay. Um, And my kids, you know, sometimes my husband makes fun of me, but I said, this is important. When my son wants to buy something on Amazon that I yeah. don't particularly agree that he needs, I don't tell him he can't have it. I tell him he has yeah. to pay for it. Yes, I do that too. <laughs> and you can't imagine how all of a sudden he doesn't want, oh, I got to pay for it? Yeah. Oh, wait, what? So then he starts <laughs> to rationalize. Well, do I really need it mm-hmm. or do I want it? Yep. Why do I want it? What is it going to do for me? And then how soon is it going to get here, right? And if right. he goes through all those questions and he decides he still wants it, I say, okay, well, give me the money and I'll order it for you. Yes, it's so amazing. It just teaches them that thought process yeah. so early. We go through it every day as adults, but giving it to them young is just so powerful. I love this so much. So, so I re- And I can't agree more. Money is a real motivator for me to live to do the th- it's for me it's freedom mm-hmm. what i'm hearing you say yes. too is this freedom yes. to do whatever i want when i because want. i have the money when i want it yes they, oh, oh i think we were <laughs> born of the same yes. elk my friend <laughs> 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 so now so fast forward okay you you were working for the government you got your dream home you and your husband are managing money together i'm actually curious of like you he clearly also is a, is good with money but how how do you guys navigate that relationship so i am the cfo of the family yes. <laughs> amazing but to be honest there's a couple of things we did as a couple when we got engaged we started to shop for financial advisors a year before we got yeah. married so we smart. saved for our wedding every month uh-huh. so that it could be paid off before we got married and yes. we used our financial advisor as a middleman to get us on the same page financially because smart. I was the 16-year-old investing in retirement accounts and he was the 16-year-old who had to work um, to help support his family, but he wasn't yeah. investing. He wasn't quite clear on all the ways to make your money grow. He just knew pay your bills on time and don't accumulate yep. a lot of debt. So yep. my husband and I were using someone else to bring in the educational components that we both needed to make sure we knew before we could make decisions on how are we going to invest our money together. And we also had a very good teaching financial advisor. I think that's what made me the teacher I am and the financial coach I am because I saw how she worked with us. I saw how she worked with my husband and how he grasped the subjects easier because she explained Mm -hmm. them. It wasn't about... Oh, I want to write your life insurance policy yesterday and I want to invest your money yesterday. So we got to get through this process and then I'll never talk to you again. She had so many meetings with us. She was very patient. Yeah. So that was what we did. And so our finances were meshed before I do. 
everybody may not Gosh, agree incredible. to that or it may not be best for everyone. I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. But that was a part of us preparing for marriage. And um, we set our goals together. We made it very clear what we were trying to accomplish. We agreed to what we invested in together. And now we still do those things, but now he just lets me do them more on my own, right? I just have to- Because it's all, yeah, it's set up. You already have the foundation. He trusts you. Um, Yeah. Automatic Millionaire, David Bach. That's one of the books I read that, you know, Robert Kiyosaki got me started and interested David Bach got me automated and not automating your wealth. We literally woke up one day and had six figures. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like you just save consistently, invest consistently, pay for your life insurance consistently, um, live within your means consistently. And we still were able to travel and do what we wanted to do. And then we woke up one day and was like, oh my God, where all this money come from? Right. And you've lived your best life. What's so amazing about that is the strategy, like, and doing it as a team. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's such power in having two people on the same page about wealth generation and goals, and the power of that. Not only just as a as team, but as a marriage. Like, how much stronger you are in your marriage mm-hmm. because you guys navigate these things together. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So, and we just keep yeah. each other in the loop now. And it makes such a difference. Because when I think about where we started, you know, I was a government yeah. employee, $50,000 a year, yeah. you know, and we, that was a lot of money. Yeah, right. And that was a oh, lot yeah. of money to us, believe it or not. Right. Of course. Of course. We've come up a bit now, but we Isn't still appreciate who we were then, you know, we still have Absolutely. that foundation. And I, and I love yeah, that too. And you did the work that's, I mean, pre-marriage is even more profound that you did the work. So, okay. So your government employee, you have this incredible husband and wealth generation team member. Um, tell me how you got into the purpose of money and what you do now. Yeah. So we got back from du- three years in Dubai. Um, we had another son. We came back. Which we'll have to do another podcast on what it was like living with <laughs> in Dubai, like, working Crazy. for the U.S. government. Yeah. It was fun. Um, talk about a lot of visitors and three years, yes. but it was expensive too. So um, we came back in 2015 and I made a couple of observations. One, for anyone who's ever lived abroad and comes home, you know that there's a period in which you are reacclimating yourself with life in the U.S. You're figuring out where things are and what's open, what's not open, what are people into. It's a lot of things you miss. And yes. when I got back, I read an article that said, most Americans don't have $500 saved for an emergency. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yep. what? Like, to me, that was shocking. Yes. And it talked about $500 can be what wrecks a budget of a small family, you know, causes them to get payday loans and go into credit card debt because they had a car accident they weren't expecting or a medical bill they didn't see coming. And now they are literally off track, right? Yep. And that article startled me because at the time, I just kept thinking to myself, $500, how can I help people get $500? So Mm -hmm. I looked up this savings challenge. I think I was in the bank one day and they had this really fun ways to save money. And there was a savings challenge where you saved a dollar more each week and you started out saving $1, $2, $3, $4, $5, $10, $15, $20, $30, $40, $50, $60, $70, $80, $90, $100, $200, $300, $400, $500, $600, $700, $800, $1,000, $1,000
Until literally the most you saved was $52 in the last week of the year. And I was like, everybody should be able to do this, right? Yeah. So I started in June of 20, um, was it 2015 or so? And I went through December. And I told people on social media, this is week one, this is week two. I gave them reasons to save. And I just really enjoyed the reaction I was getting, the comments, the enthusiasm. And I just had a lot of people say like, why haven't you been doing this before? And then I started getting people calling me. Can you help me with my money? Can you help me figure out how to invest this? Can you help me figure out where to save that? And I said, hmm, this is, this is a thing, right? Yeah. So then this is me always looking for more ways to make money. Um, I And your natural entrepreneurial right. self. <laughs> so I Google, how do you become a freelance writer? Because I said, I know yes. about money. I want to write about finances. And I literally went online and it said, create an online resume of articles you've written and put your profile up on websites like Upwork and apply for positions to write. And I tell you, the first thing I came across on Upwork was this opportunity to write for a magazine for Black millennials about building wealth. I thought it literally was written just for me. I wrote this Amazing. amazing pitch email it, and I, I can say that because he hired me. I was the first yes. staff writer um, for Wealth Noir. Uh, shout out to Wealth Noir. And yes. I just connected with the creator, Damian Peters, right away. I became a mm-hmm. freelance writer and I got to write about money and I was super excited about it. And so then Damian ends up, because again, when you increase your net work, you increase mm-hmm. your net worth. So yeah. Damien Ooh, I like it. <laughs> was like, oh, you like to write. You should go to this conference where all these people who like money go, which is called FinCon. FinCon, yes, I've been there. Yes. So fast forward two years after writing for him, because I think, or maybe more than that, I went to FinCon in 2018. That's how long it took me to finally go. But I go and I fell in love with the idea that You can network with people who like to talk about money. Mm -hmm. You can help people in so many ways with their money. And I was like inspired. I literally left FinCon in Orlando, 2018, went to my cousin's house in Orlando, got on my computer, purchased the domain, thepurposeofmoney.com, started my website the next Monday, struggled because I am not a tech person, cried in the Facebook group about how do I set up this website? (laughs) And the same people who I just hung out with for a week helped me, literally called and was like, girl, you on WordPress, you need a template, you need this. So I got the website set up and that's, that's, that's history. The rest is history. The purpose of money has been up since September, 2018. It has been my blog to vent about my financial journey. It has been a place where I've launched a podcast now, the purpose of money podcast, it has been a space where I have found more freelance clients. I still write for other people. I still write for yeah. myself. I sell life insurance, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's incredible. You're this literally having, I'm so grateful you just shared this story with me. Thank you. Because I literally see from conception <laughs> from your childhood to the culmination of a money 
you know, business, a business talking and writing and educating about money. Like it just makes total sense your life path <laughs> from seventh grade yeah. and 16 years old Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I have to do a funny plug. By the way, I I was at that FinCon in Orlando, 2018. Oh my gosh. I pitched Navit, I pitched Navit for the first time publicly. At the time we were looking at being a travel like helping people save for travel uh, before I really got our mission honed on financial wealth and behavioral health science. But that's so funny. I was there. So I feel the energy of what you're talking about and how inspired you. Yes. So you get it. Yep. I totally get it. Yeah. So now, so, so it's, it's ballooned into a blog, a book, a podcast. Uh, So tell, tell us what, I mean, is it your full-time job now? And it's really almost, almost. We're still working on that. Yes, but, it's a process. Um, I am a strategic person. I will never tell anyone to jump into full-time entrepreneurship if you cannot confidently pay your bills. Okay? Yes. And and it's not even about Amen. paying them, but also the like not having the anxiety about paying them. Be- and I think that decision is really based on watching my mom because she mm-hmm. was full time. And there were some days yes. where she was like, oh, this is fine. Here's money. Here's the-. And then there were other months she was like, OK, who's going to get paid first? Mm-hmm. And who's going to wa- get yes. paid late? And right. let's see how this falls. Right. So right. I didn't want to do that to my family because I still want to travel. I, yes. I want my husband to enjoy playing golf, which is his hobby and it's not cheap. So there were steps yes. that we've decided together that Aquania has to take. So I hit one of them last year. My business hit six figures and I worked really hard to do that with my coach in addition to working my job, right? Yes. So now that I've hit that milestone and I've invested in a lot of things that I wanted to be done while I still had a job. So if I needed more capital to pay for it, I could. But I am glad mm-hmm. to say in six years, my business has been self-sufficient, which is not something most people can say. But last year, I put in a lot of effort in creating a financial foundation course called Finances 101. Mm -hmm. um, Two years ago, I launched the podcast, which um, just got its first big sponsor at the end of last year for a couple of commercials. And I just started thinking about what are my streams of income that I want as a business and how are they all going to fit together? Because some entrepreneurs believe, oh, I got to have several businesses. But as my mm. coach explained to me, no, you can have one business that has multiple streams of income. Uh-huh. And preferably they all yep. make sense so that people don't get confused. And yep. so that's literally what I worked on this year. Um, what I'm working on this year is finalizing those streams and what I worked mm. on a lot last year to hit six figures. And yes. so... um I currently outward facing, you'll you'll see my podcast. You can take my course, Finances 101. Um, You can also be a coach E or, you know, I can be your coach. I'm a financial coach and I take on a limited amount of clients one-on-one to talk about their finances so they can hit their goals. And we go through different things. I'm helping entrepreneurs rebuild businesses. I'm helping um, single moms establish their finances so they can have good independent stability with children. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I have a different range of clients, but I mostly work with Black women who are building wealth and trying to navigate their next step. Um, Amazing. And then I sell life insurance, which I am passionate about life insurance because I do not want 
GoFundMe to be the primary way people pay for funerals. And I yes. have literally contributed to funerals for lower income individuals and even people at my own job. Mm-hmm. And it, it it hits another way when you see other government employees having to be on a GoFundMe site because they mm-hmm. weren't prepared. Yeah. Um, and that is when I realized I needed to help people around me. Yes. Um, and I shared this with you um, when we were talking, like when I lived in Haiti, I was there for the earthquake. And that mm-hmm. was another eye opener because I had people, my neighbor um, tragically passed away in her home. And I saw other people who lost a lot of their things because their house mm-hmm. was destroyed. They didn't mm-hmm. have personal insurance on their things. Mm-hmm. They didn't have, some didn't have life insurance on themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, but you guys work for the government. Like we have good jobs. You're not prepared. And that's when I realized you need to help the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a need. And they just didn't know like, oh, I'm supposed to have insurance outside of work or. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that I would, I could talk all day about the life insurance. Why don't you do a little plug for that? And then we'll get into our quick takes. Okay, like, sure. t- tell us how you use the plug, the life insurance. So it really is for my clients, I'm always going to recommend what's best for you. If you're on yes. a budget, you need term life insurance. You need a lot of insurance to cover your mortgage or taking care of your kids. When you're gone, we go for the cost efficient term insurance. But if you have more cash flow, like my husband and I did in our marriage, in the beginning of our marriage, when we didn't have kids, we invested in permanent life insurance and we were young and healthy. So it was super affordable. But one of the things about permanent life insurance is it builds cash value. So some, every time you make a payment, some of that payment literally goes towards uh, an account that earns interest. And when the market's doing really well and that interest is high, you find yourself accumulating a lot of extra cash that you can leverage. And so in our case, we leveraged $40,000 to invest in real estate. And when we got back from Dubai, we basically, in one year, we purchased our dream home, a rental, and helped my mother-in-law get a condo so she could retire and have a safe place to live. Incredible. And that was the beginning of our real estate journey. Um, And since then, I have invested in um, three hotels and 354 apartments in Orlando, Florida. So I'm a owner. <laughs> I'm an owner in hotels. I'm an owner in multifamily syndications. And so my portfolio is now $34 million. Say it again. How many million? <laughs> 34. Let's just million. own it. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> it's scary. I just got comfortable saying it because, yes. again, being around the right people, some of my co-investors in the hotel were like, why aren't you telling people like what you've literally yes. accomplished? Um, most of it in the last two and a half years. And I was like, well, I don't want everyone to know my business. And they were like, I think they should know. How many black hotel owners do you know? I was like, until exactly. I met you, none. <laughs> <laughs> With that kind of net worth and value. Yeah. Yeah. So it's incredible. But it's a blessing. And it took being asking questions and being in the right circles. Because once I found out you can own hotels, I was like, how do you do that? Who do, who do you yeah. do that with? How much does it cost? 
And I tell you, when God <laughs> answers, go. you know, God answers <laughs> your questions because I started asking questions in June of 2020. And I closed on my first hotel in October of 2020. Incredible. Like that's how quickly he worked. I start, I said, how do you do it? So then I interviewed people on my podcast to tell me how to do it. And truth be told, in June of 2020, somebody told me about multifamily syndication. So that's when I learned about it. And I had actually put my heart on that. But in 2020, it was so hard to find apartment deals because housing was not moving. People were living in their homes and they were not leaving and people were not selling apartments. And then I found someone to interview on hotel ownership in September. September of 2020, I had them on my shows, Davon Reeves and Jessica Myers. We really hit it off. We had known each other a little bit, but we had never done a deal together. And a month later, they sent an email about, oh, we have this Hilton opportunity. Do you want to invest? I missed the email. So I didn't even see the first email. And that's why I said when something's meant for you, it's meant for you because they sent a second email. I saw it. I said, Hilton? And then I read the perspectives and the numbers and I said, I can do that. And I called and said, I want to be an investor in this deal. And they were like, really? They couldn't even believe it. Really? We just met. I said, well, y'all seem cool and numbers look good. And I had my people check it out. And so let's do it. And we closed within 22 days or so. Incredible. Incredible. What a what a lovely. I mean, not only is that story amazing, but the entire life story, my friend, <laughs> is truly amazing. From the beginning, you were meant to be someone that that used money in a healthy way and saw it as this incredible tool, not only to build wealth for yourself and your family and your legacy, but of course then to share that with others. Like I'm so blessed and grateful you came and told me that story. You're welcome. Incredible. Yes. So you already gave where people can find you, right? Yeah. Um the, the purpose the of money.com money. Instagram at the purpose of money. That's my favorite uh-huh. place to hang out. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So I'm going to do our quick, uh, like lightning round. You ready for it? Yes. Okay. Uh, well this, I kind of already know the answer, but rent or buy. <laughs> that's not even, that's like funny. <laughs> buy the block, baby. Buy the whole, the whole damn thing. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Okay. Cook in or eat out. Oh, I am a foodie and Mm -hmm. I love good food, but I personally do not like to cook anymore. So I actually Mm -hmm. hired a chef last year. Oh, wait, tell me more. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) I told, I literally, I rejiggered our budget and I told my husband we could afford it. He said, no, I think you're being ridiculous. We don't need it. I told my assistant, please look for chefs that are local. I, (laughs) I hit it off with this one chef and I told him, you got one shot. You better make three good meals that my husband die, like loves so that he can let me keep you. <laughs> and he did such a good job that um, I told my husband, okay, we're going to hire him. And he said, what? I said, yeah, I think we should. It, we can afford it. It's cheaper. Yes. We were buying groceries and we weren't eating them. And I don't like wasting yes. food. So yes. June of 2021, we started on a trial basis. <laughs> And we're wait, wait. So tell me how this works. Like he he makes it outside the house yes. and brings it, or he makes it at the house. He does both, but we decided bring food on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and we'll be good. Yes. And then his Brilliant. his um partner is a baker, and she makes pies Amazing. and cakes and desserts. Oh my so God. when we want a sweet tooth, 
we just say, okay, next time you come, can you bring fill in the blank dessert? Normally it's a pie or a cake and we're good. We literally get through the week most of the time. Like maybe on Friday nights, we'll order pizza because we've run out of the food that he brought on Tuesday. But that has been a lifesaver. One, because my husband in COVID, I love him. He started cooking, (laughs) but he's a pasta freak. Like he loves to cook pasta. And I was like, I already know this body and pasta can't do every day. Like Mm -hmm. I lived in Italy for a year. I know what pasta does to my cheeks and my backside. (laughs) Yes, Where he might not be complaining, but but you are. I was trying to lose (laughs) weight. (laughs) Totally. So the other benefit is my chef cooks um, meals that are just for me that are really affordable, like 12 to 15 bucks. And they're high protein and high vegetables, you know? So- I get to stay healthy and my family gets to eat. And then there's other stuff that he cooks for all of us and we all eat. And that's been great because I've actually lost weight in COVID instead of gained a whole bunch of weight. I've been able to stick to my exercise routine, which took me 36 years to find. So I'm that person. (laughs) I swear. I was the one who I, you know, I did track. I did competitive cheerleading, but I really didn't like to sweat. I like to wear the outfits. But I didn't like to sweat. So <laughs> when I became an adult, I was like, I oh, need no. a workout, but I don't want to sweat. Like, what does that look like? Everybody would be like, what do you mean you don't want to sweat? And I was like, no, seriously, like, who wants to do that? And so I just had to keep looking for the workout that I, I could enjoy. Okay, please tell me the workout that makes that's not allow you so to sweat. So I found Orange Theory. I do sweat, but I don't that hate makes it. You sweat. I know, okay, but the go. thing is, Perfect. so this is what I later learned. I get bored. So when uh-huh, you try to it. put me in a class where everything is the same, I'm like, oh, that's fine, yes. but I don't want to do it anymore. But Orange Theory is a high intensity workout that's rowing, treadmill, mm-hmm. and weights. And you never, yes. I've never repeated the same exact same workout. Incredible. And I've gone for yes. two years straight. Amazing. So, there you go. but it took me. 36 years <laughs> to, to, admit, to actually it. find something you like to sweat at. Yes. That's like, that's the key. That's, that's key. amazing. That is such a good story. <laughs> okay. Um, coffee, no coffee. I don't drink coffee. Food. Okay. I drink right. tea. Do you do tea. I do yes. drink tea okay. and I love amazing. berries and fruit tea, but I do not drink coffee. Oh. I never yes. had a good experience with it. With it. Yeah. Okay. But some bodies just don't handle yeah. it. I don't like it either. I, well, I do keep decaf. Um, Netflix or Disney plus. Netflix. Uh-huh, you, if you, right. if you are, <laughs> so when Netflix announced they were raising their prices, I did a poll to say, is you know who's staying or going, and actually it was a fifty-fifty poll. But I was like, I'm staying wow. because most oh, yeah. of the TV I watch is literally stream TV. I don't watch live TV 100%. anymore. We don't either. Yeah, and it's always my default. Like, yeah, we have we have Disney for my son, mm-hmm. and then we have Hulu, but or no HBO Max. But um, it's always my yep. default. I want to find something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last one. This is, we do this one for everyone. So it, so, uh, there's no bad answer, but it's funny. Would you rather have a million dollars in cash or $50 million with a mime, a permanent mime following you? (laughs) (laughs) Such a good question, right? Like you're like, Oh, (laughs) I'll take my million. I'll turn it into 50. You can keep the mime. (laughs) That's what I said. 
some people have said, yeah, I'll pay the mine to go away. It's like, <laughs> nope, permanent, it's permanent. That's hilarious. I love it though. Cause on my podcast, I have signature questions too. So I love it. Those are good. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Aquanya, it is so amazing to have you and what a joy to hear your story. I just cannot wait for people to hear this and also go follow you and learn more about how you are making all of these amazing money moves in the world. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I can't wait. Thanks for listening to the Nabbit podcast where we share money stories. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe and share this episode with your friends. See you on the next episode.